And that's what I think why I started social media baseball wise was to also show the process because everybody watches the highlight reel. And if that's all you see, then of course everybody's going to want to be a big leaguer. But it's the whole like question of, do you want to be on an 18 hour bus ride? Do you want to not be fed? Do you want to not make any money? Do you want to not be able to go to anything for six months out of a year? Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho, and if you can hear any fireworks in the background, that is because I picked the night of July 4th to record this intro. Uh, fortunately, today's episode does not have any firework sounds in the background because I recorded it previously with former A's farmhand Aiden McIntyre, who went from a guy who threw around 80 miles an hour when he walked onto a junior college roster two weeks before his freshman year and ended up getting to double A and throwing 95. Coolest of all, he chronicled his entire journey on his YouTube channel, which you can check out after listening to this episode. We talk about his journey, which included multiple junior colleges, a Division II school that no longer exists, like not the program, the entire school, and turning that into an opportunity with the A's, and like I said, gets all the way to to AA and chronicles it on his YouTube channel. It's a cool story, an example of how much hard work is needed to become a professional, and how much of a toll that hard work can take on somebody. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. The MLB draft coming up, futures game coming up, a lot of coverage on both fronts over at BA. You can go check out the the draft, the five top 500 prospects uh, for the MLB draft. That's a lot of great work there. Always a great time to be subscribed to BA. And with that, let's talk to Aiden McIntyre. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom on the Farm, he's a 22nd round pick of the A's in the 2018 draft out of Holy Names University. Aiden McIntyre, Aiden, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Absolutely. I'm glad to be on. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, you uh, you have your own, you have a YouTube channel. You are deep in the content game. Tell folks if they enjoy this interview where they can find you and what, what kind of videos they can check out. Yeah, currently, um, I would say that content is what I was more known for as a baseball player than actual performance. Um, so I have a YouTube channel that's just Aiden McIntyre. Um, haven't been posting as much on it lately, but we'll be looking to kind of take it from, I was doing a lot of day in the life as a player, trainer, stuff like that, um, into some other stuff this off season. Um, but it's just Aiden McIntyre. And then Instagram is where most of my content goes. And that's just Aiden McIntyre with an underscore. I'm also on TikTok, which is pretty much just the same videos from Instagram going there. So that is the the main areas where I, I, I post content um, that is either training related, um, either kind of trying to help athletes or more so just on the side of promoting baseball companies and baseball lifestyle. You also did a video with a uh, former guest of this podcast, Eric Sim on In-N-Out and Whataburger, which I'm we're going to come back to on, on the on the back end of this. Because uh, I obviously I ride ride hard for for my native Whataburger. I was gonna say you're from Texas. I feel like you got an opinion on that. Yeah, I mean it's something that gets it gets brought up and thought about a lot. And like I I spent a summer on the West Coast. I'm familiar with In and Out, and obviously we have In and Out here now. And I I think In and Out makes a fine burger. I'm just Whataburger is an establishment. I I just think it has a lot of pros. So we'll 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 get back Fair to enough. that. We'll but get I, I want to. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to go back to you in high school there, you know, there are some guys we've had 
stories of all types on this show. We have had first round draft picks. We've had the kids who made every all-star team from the moment they were nine and we're covered in scouts. I curious as you get into, in, into high school, you had in one of your videos that I watched, you had your perfect game screenshot throwing like 78, 79. What did you feel like your future was in baseball? And I'm curious just what your relationship was to, to baseball if you know without having a lot of schools and a lot of attention beating the door down yeah my um route in baseball was i fell in love with baseball when i was probably like between like eight and ten and my family moved to arizona baseball didn't run in our family um, but pretty much i got to arizona there was like a local little league and i just ran with it um so i mean i never really played other sports i played like half a season of basketball but I was very one track mind and baseball was that one thing. So, um, I spent like, that was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play baseball. So when I got to high school, um, I played like club ball and I was, I was decent. Um, but I mean, club ball early high school, like freshman, sophomore year, um, just wasn't, I don't know, super talented. Um, I was definitely a late bloomer. So like my freshman year of high school, I went in at like five, two, um, I was a second baseman in my sophomore year. I was like 5'5". Five, five. I was a middle infielder. Um, but it really wasn't until like my senior year of high school where I hit over six foot. Um, so I was a late bloomer. And I think that had a lot to do with like, I just wasn't as gifted physically as a lot of the other players like at that age. So naturally you kind of fall behind. Um, but I knew pretty early on. And I guess like when I think about when I was 17, 18, my goals were my goal in baseball was to play as long as I possibly could and feel like I hit my ceiling. Um, and we'll obviously kind of talk about it later, but like, I didn't feel like I hit my ceiling until, um, this past year at 27. So that was over a 10 year span. And I don't think I was like delusional, delusional about my baseball goals. My goal was in high school was to go to college. And I wasn't like even looking at D1s, wasn't looking even at D2s. Uh, it was pretty much just like junior colleges. And uh, then my senior year, I didn't really play. And when I did play, I wasn't very good. Um, but luckily that summer, I pretty much, I finished up my high school season. I had no looks, no offers. And the club team I was playing with um, was related to, connected to the Dodgers. It was Rodney Davis was the head coach of, and the guy who ran it and he kind of told me he's like honestly he's like I think you have a better shot of going to college as a pitcher um, even though I'd really never pitched in high school um, and the numbers I do have in high school were atrocious but he pretty much said that he thought that was like kind of something I should pursue and I mean I listened to him because again my only goal was just to get to that next level and I think I just kind of kept wanting to get to the next level and luckily for me like it, my body kind of caught up, the strength caught up, and I was able to do that for a long time. It's very rare on this show that I hear someone talk about what their experience was in high school, and I think, wow, that sounds a lot like me. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, uh, besides the the six-foot thing, because the, the height never came on my head. But when you talk about ceiling, there was something that, it, you know, if we're putting it on the same level, it was something that I, I had the same kind of thoughts too. I just wanted to find a place to play. I wanted to play as long as I could. I wanted to see what I could do. When you were 17, 18 years old, and you're trying to figure out what that ceiling might be, 
how how did you even kind of grasp that? Was there did you even think about a a four year plan of what you wanted to you know if you you catch on with at Yavapai, which is a a really competitive junior college. When you when you land on campus, did you even have kind of an idea of this is what I think I could be in college? This is what I I want to be. Like, are you able to look four years, or are you just like looking two weeks ahead or a month ahead? Like, how did you kind of figure out who, you know, who the hell am I? Yeah, I think I got to college and I was just trying to survive. I don't think I had a plan. I didn't have a long term plan. Um, I was pretty much surviving day to day. I knew that. I knew very quickly when I got to Yavapai that I was extremely outmatched. Um, I knew that very fast um, and continued to like understand that deeper, that uh, that team was extremely impressive as well. So they ended up going to the college world series. Um, I was only at Yavapai for the the fall. So um, at the end of the fall, I got cut and it was one of those things like I knew it was coming. It was either I was getting cut or I was getting redshirted. Um, and I will say that um, the head coach there did a good job of not redshirting me and not like babying me. Um, pretty much he said, he's like, if we redshirt you, like, I don't think there's a spot for you next year either. So I think it would be better if like pretty much they had a list of schools that had reached out to them and pretty much any player who was released from Yavapai, other teams were willing to take. Um, and so luckily they kind of got me to my next school, which was Otero. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my time at Yavapai was like, it was, I look back on it and baseball wise, I mean, I was kind of just happy to be there and I was obviously like growing and kind of developing, but I still just wasn't like that team was a bunch of grown men and I wasn't, um, at the time. So I think was mostly just trying to kind of survive and be with the team and figure it out. But I definitely will say that the one thing I kind of took from Yavapai was the level of um performance and kind of understood very quickly oh this is what good baseball is because they were a really good team and so when I went off to other schools I always kind of had that that understanding of like my reality of what good baseball was was never a lie like I knew what good baseball players looked like I knew how they acted I knew how they they threw um so I think that that is the one thing I did take from my time at Yavapai that helped me later on um and I mean, I kind of figured out like, not officially, but like later on, like I kind of put together that the guy who recruited me, cause I went to a trial for Yavapai in the spring and I topped like 80 miles an hour as a senior in high school. And so obviously they messaged me and said I, they weren't interested. And then the end of the summer, there was like, it was two weeks until school started and I had nothing. Um, and Did you have a plan of like, I'm going to at least go to like my local community college and start getting some credits or were you still like, Hey man, this baseball thing's going to work out. I'm going to find somewhere. I had a lot of blind faith that somehow it was just going to work out. Uh, I look back now and it's like, I don't, I don't know what the plan was. I think I was going to go to like Phoenix college or something near me and try to walk on. Um, and then I got a preferred walk on spot, Yavapai, which pretty much I believe happened because the coach who was the recruiting coach, um, he signed me. I worked with him and everything. He got me signed. It happened in like two days. All of a sudden it was like, Hey, do you want, we have a spot for you. You have a pie. Come here. And then right after he signed me, he took a job at U of A. So the way I understand it now being around the game longer is he needed to hit a quota. He needed to fill a certain amount of players. And that's honestly how I think I got in. 
That is that is wild. But I mean, it works. So you, you transfer to this this other junior college at semester. And it's such an interesting fall is that that blending that that team bonding point. That's where obviously in junior college is a little different. You're still playing a lot of baseball, um, but especially at a 40 year. That is where you're doing mostly practices, scrimmages and you're hanging out. You're getting yeah. to learn. You're learning like, you know, who you're who you're actually going to be friends with. But you're you're getting the vibe of the team. And then guys always leave it semester and occasionally you pick one up. I've always wondered what it's like to be on the other end of that. Like we would always see, you know, random guy shows up and usually he knows someone on the team or, mm-hmm. some, you know, it's a guy, it's a D1 kickback who, you know, something didn't work out. But you're just like walking into a group that's pretty tight knit and you're also coming for someone's job. What initiating yourself in that and, and getting so quick into transfer culture, I guess. What was that experience walking into a, to a team? Does it feel welcoming or does baseball, even that early on start to feel, you start to feel like kind of like that mercenary thing of I'm just trying, I'm just here to play. I would say it was both again. I still think I was just happy to get to the next school. Um, and so I kind of showed up and the only thing I knew about Otero, cause I mean, I signed like the, the day I got cut, I pretty much signed there. Um, and the only thing I really knew about Otero was I wasn't on scholarship. There was, it was in like a really bad part of Colorado and that there's like three restaurants in the town. That was all I really knew going into it. Um, and looking back, like, I don't necessarily know that I went in and blended in very well. I think I kind of went in with a chip on my shoulder. And I also think I kind of was trying to, like you said earlier, figure out what type of player I was. And I was just at this school with all these really good players and kind of being around them. So when you're around really good players, it naturally kind of brings you up and you're going to feel like you're a better player too. So I think when I transferred, I kind of tried to carry a lot of that with me. Um, But I mean, I ended up meeting um, some of my best friends at that school, like lifelong friends that were at my wedding, uh, best man, stuff like that. So it was actually me and there's three of us who all transferred in at the same time. And we pretty much all bonded and ended up becoming really close, um, especially those first like month two months um and they were both really good and they were like our two best players that season so i kind of just naturally got blended in that i was also good even though i wasn't playing um but i got to yeah i mean i got to otero and i pretty much within like two weeks of being there i was getting the talk from our pitching coach that he was going to probably redshirt me (laughs) um i threw the first two weeks there and i got absolutely just hammered was just giving up runs just wasn't throwing well so I pretty much got the talk that I was going to get redshirted and I remember we're at a it's called Lucy's Burrito the best food in town and our pitching coach was kind of letting me know that and I pretty much told him I was like I'm already here if I I would rather not be redshirted and if I just don't play all season and I burn a year so be it but I was like I, I don't really want a redshirt here um so they ended up not redshirting me and I think we were like, I don't know how many games you play. I want to say we played like maybe 45, 50, including like out of conference. And I think I didn't pitch in the first 16 games of the year. Um, so, I mean, I was like 16 games into the season with zero appearances. Um, but again, like I was, I was a good teammate. I enjoyed being there. I was kind of honestly like at this time, like baseball was just fun for me. I enjoyed being a part of a team. But I mean, I wasn't working particularly hard at it. I was having fun in our school and like that was about it. So I was just kind of showing up 
and that was kind of the first half of the season and I ended up um getting into some games because of injuries and stuff like that and actually started out my career on like a 16 inning scoreless streak or something something that I've never done the rest of my career um and ended up I think throwing like maybe 20 foul or 24 25 innings something like that um and ended up throwing like having decent numbers um even though I mean I was throwing low 80s um but I was just like I would put it and our catcher at the time kind of put it like just the most aggressive competitive 82 mile an hour fastball you've ever seen you wrap up that season and and you somehow go from getting cut by a team at semester to being kind of a mainstay guy throws a lot in a team does it change at all how you feel about yourself or or your future because again you're going into that sophomore junior college year which is Mm -hmm. similar to senior year of high school where you got to got to figure something out you can't stay there forever yeah yeah, I was a little bit more alert this go around than I was as a senior in high school. Um, so, I mean, I, I knew like I kind of after that year, I that was my first like real taste of success ever, like at a high level. And um, so, I mean, I played summer ball and my goal was to throw harder, come back the next year, be one of our top two starters. And like I already kind of knew like probably was going to be a D2 um, opportunity. And I ended up having a really good summer. I got up to like mid mid 80s probably maybe like a little bit over 86 87 i don't really know we didn't have a lot of radar guns around then there wasn't any pocket radars back then um at this time too how are you building that velocity because this is pre-driving this is pre kind of learning a real throwing program when you say i want to throw harder what was what was the process of i want to throw harder i mean to some extent i got lucky because i genuinely think it was like my body just started actually developing and i started like getting stronger bigger moving faster so i really think that's why i gained velo i wasn't doing any sort of throwing program i mean i was like i would play catch and like that's it or i would start like long tossing but like i didn't have a clue in the world what i was doing um and we didn't really have like we had a very generic very basic like throwing program so i i think most of the velo like that early like 80 to like mid 80s jump was just all physicality um which I think a lot of people have a hard time with because you always want to feel like you can do something to improve right now. But the truth is like genetically, if your body is not at a place where you can throw hard, you're no matter what you do, no matter how well you do, it's going to be very hard to make like big jumps like that. With that, I then want to, you, you catch on with a D2 school, you go to Holy Names, but walk me through then your first experience working with driveline. Cause that was kind of, that was a question I, I had asked and or wanted to ask. And especially considering what you do now in terms of being a, being a throwing coach and working with guys, like the simplest question is like how much gas is in the tank for people. We've now learned that velocity can be trained for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, reached velocity beyond kind of your wildest dreams. I would think at, at yeah. you know, 15, 15, 16 years old, walk me through that first experience and what that, open to you is I guess a new ceiling yeah I finished my junior year or d2 I threw decently I was like I think I I finally had touched like 90 at the beginning of the year and then my velo just tanked the rest of the season um but I pretty much I got to the end of my junior year and I remember having um I still wasn't really taking baseball super seriously I was just your average college baseball player I was going out I was drinking I was throwing and like that was it um and so I knew when it was like graduation, my junior year, a bunch of my friends were seniors. 
And it's this whole reality of like, you start seeing guys like going into the real world and like their baseball career is done. And I remember it hit me really, really heavily that I felt like I hadn't um, given all that I had. And pretty much if my career ended, I remember saying like if my career ended today, I wouldn't be happy with what I gave. Um, so I ended up like looking up a bunch of different baseball stuff. Luckily I came across driveline and, and so that was summer of 17. And that was really the shift of pretty much everything for me. Like I became a pro baseball player that year with, as far as like work ethic, um, my sleep, my nutrition, my training, my body, everything it just all kind of clicked at once. And I was putting in, I, I mean, 90% more effort than I'd ever put in. Um, and luckily like that combination of working extremely hard, my body developing and driveline all at the same time, really giving me a base of a throwing program, um, really helped. And I was like, I got to like 92, I think it was 91, 92 at driveline that summer. And that was the first time, like, I felt like I had a shot to get drafted because that had always been the goal, but I think I secretly always knew, like, I wasn't a draft caliber player. Um, and so I remember that summer I wrote down pretty much the goal of, in my mind, for me to get drafted, I was going to need to either have an amazing season, great stats, beat all the right teams, or plan B was, like, I need to throw 95 miles an hour and I need to punch out everybody in the world. And that was the goal. And and that was what ended up getting me drafted. And I'm curious from your perspective of, of working with players of different calibers and also seeing yourself, we've, we've seen this revolution of guys just training for velocity. And we, you know, we see the videos online mm-hmm. of guys standing behind a guy with a pocket radar and it's like, boom, 98. And it seems like it's there for everyone. Yeah. How much, how much can you train for versus how much needs to be there physically? Like you, like, like I said, you and I threw kind of similar velocity in high school. Mm-hmm. You are over six feet. I am five, seven. There, yeah. there are, you know, limitations there. Like how much, how much can you train for velocity wise, but also with everything else that you can, that technology is allowing you to yeah. do now in terms of, in terms of pitch creation. Like basically if everyone now has access to this stuff in terms of good, you know, up to date, new age training philosophies, facilities, yeah. what you have you, what is the differentiator? It, it's it's physicality it's genetics i genuinely think like everybody somebody who doesn't play baseball somebody who does play baseball i think that like given the right situation now this is where i've talked about it a lot recently is i think this is where baseball is going is baseball kind of used to be that sport compared to other sports where it's like oh it's an average joe kind of sport there's some guys out there who look dumpy um you know that get that guy doesn't look like a great athlete and to some extent that was kind of true um, compared to like, you never watch an NFL game and you're like, man, that unless like, like linemen, they're 300 pounds, but like they run faster than your average person who's in shape now. And so the whole, like, I think the ceiling for individual, like player excellence is so much higher and so much easier to develop now. So if you take a 15 year old who was like your average 15 year old, take me as a 15 year old. I think that now, like I could have probably developed a little bit better. Um, but my ceiling still like, wasn't going to allow me to throw 90 at 15. There was no way I was going to throw 90 at 15. Um, but I think the thing is now, if you take an amazingly gifted athlete and you put them into this right setting where you can train them properly, the way that guys can jump now is significantly different than it used to be. So that's where, like, I think the game of baseball is changing and evolving to where, it is the best athletes in the world now. 
And not only are they the best athletes because they can either hit a baseball, which is extremely hard to do, or they can be a pitcher and throw a hundred and command it. But I also just think it's because athletes are better now than they've ever been. And baseball with the amount of technology that it has now can improve players faster and can pretty much create higher ceilings. So the, but the, the point of the ceiling in my mind, isn't like not everybody has the same ceiling. And I think in baseball, it's hard, especially for like high school and college players to understand and come to grips with because it sucks. It's not fair. Everybody wants to act like baseball and you know, it's all fair. And if you just work hard, you can get to the big league. It's absolutely not true. It's not just hard work. And this isn't taking away from anybody who is a gifted athlete. They all work hard too. Or even if they don't, they're just good enough that they don't have to. But if you're somebody who genetically, your ceiling isn't a big league ceiling, I don't think that like you can do pretty much a lot of things to change that. And I think that it kind of sucks. But I do think that that's kind of the reality of everybody's ceiling is different. But what baseball has now in technology and advancement is you can get to that ceiling a lot faster than you used to be able to. And even sometimes you can push past that ceiling. And I'm, I'm curious to you mentioned like you at 15 and you kind of talked about that you baseball was fun for you, you were, but you weren't taking it seriously. In your senior year of college, you made it a lifestyle. You made it, it is diff- different being a professional and yeah. doing that. I'm curious with your with your work now and, and, and thinking about that, if that had been applied to 14-year-old you, to 15-year-old you, because th- we see now there are kids, there yeah. are 10-year-olds who are like influenced by a variety of sources who think that this has to be everything they yeah. do forever. You're talking about like you met some of your best friends at this junior college when you're just having fun. Is that... Can can you have that same kind of lifestyle that you had as a senior in college and at 14, 15? Like, is, is that healthy? I would I would ask you. No, absolutely not. It's, there's nothing healthy about it. Like I what I did, like my senior year and the guys like in college who were able to attest to it. Like, I think I went like six to eight months without having a single drink. I was in bed at every night at 8 p.m. I was awake at 5 a.m. every single day. I was doing two-a-days. Like, I was destroying my body. And honestly, I, like, got to that point where, like, I was pushing too hard, and it was uh, physically and mentally I was hitting a wall. So that's kind of the hard thing is I've talked to a lot of players because a lot of players ask me, like, you know, well, the whole, like, how hard do I have to work? Or how much do you have to do? And I feel kind of torn on it because, I've been asked a lot if I could go back to freshman year of college and know what I know now, like, or like pretty much would I have wanted to do what I did my senior year, my freshman year of college. And if I'm being honest, the answer is no. I think that those like first three years of college, I had an absolute blast and I almost feel like it allowed, I was allowed to do both. And I don't think a lot of guys are, um, I think, cause I played with a lot of guys who worked extremely hard and didn't go out and didn't like and a lot of them kind of like regretted it um but I also know a lot of guys who like didn't work hard enough and I think there's regrets there too so I think that line is pretty hard to find but for like high school age players my advice is always that like baseball now the way the, the amount of access that you have to seeing it so if you're a 14 year old kid now versus when I was 14 there was no baseball YouTube there was no Instagram like 
there wasn't, you weren't seeing it. So you just kind of got to go play wiffle ball and have fun. And there wasn't like this overbearing weight that I feel like high school kids carry now, because if you're a high school kid and like, let's say you're good, you throw 85. All you're seeing is high school kids throwing a hundred. And so that's how you're gauging your talent level and your skill set. And I think that that is pretty exhausting way to probably be a high school player now. So, I mean, I even have a brother, he's a senior in high school, going into his senior year of high school this year. And even like talking with him, it's just that it's a very different culture. And the amount that you can see now is all you're seeing, like you said, is you go on Instagram, everyone's throwing a hundred. And the reality is, is that's not it. Like that's the 1%. But all you see on Instagram is the 1%. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the, it's the commitment in the Twitter bio and it, it's, it's yeah. that thing. It's just, it's just interesting. And I think that, and this is just like a personal experience thing too, but I, if, if you don't, if you're doing it just for the, not the clout, but like yeah. to catch up, I think you have to have the love and the actual, this game is fun to me to, to sustain a work ethic. Cause I think yeah. anyone can yeah. create like a one season goal and like, I'm just going to you know, I'm going to get jacked and I'm going to throw yeah. harder and whatever. But if this isn't fun for you, it's not something you, it's not something you keep up. It turns into literal, literal work. And while baseball yeah. becomes a job for people, it's still a game that is fun. And you'll see the yeah. guys when it becomes just a job, that's, that's when they're done with it. When they can't, when you, yeah. when you're not, when it's not worth putting in the work and it's only fun on game day, that's when it's like, what are we even doing here? Yeah. And I mean, I can attest to that as like, having recently retired from playing is, it was very strange for me, but pretty much like the season, like I was playing in Chicago, uh, playing indie ball. And it was like that first time that pretty much the those five minutes, 10 minutes, however long you spend on a mound wasn't worth it to me anymore. And it had always been worth it to me. And because that's like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in baseball that, that sucks. Like, let's just be honest. Like, and, and even at like the pro level. So it's that whole like the grass is always greener in high school. You want to be a D1 college player. If you're a D1 college player, you want to get drafted. Once you get drafted, you want to be in the big leagues. Like you skip over all the steps, all the process. And, and that's what I think why I started social media baseball wise was to also show the process because everybody watches the highlight reel. And if that's all you see, then of course everybody's going to want to be a big leaguer. But it's the whole like question of, do you want to be on an 18 hour bus ride? Do you want to not be fed? Do you want to not make any money? You want to not be able to go to anything for six months out of a year. Yeah, it's it's a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. You you put in that sacrifice as a senior in college. Walk me through your draft day. Walk me through the the 2018 draft. That that whole pro. How long does 22 rounds feel? Uh, not too long because I knew I wasn't going in the first two days. <laughs> um, I kind of feel bad for guys who like fly because I mean, going into the draft, I still wasn't sure if I was going to get drafted. Um, I didn't have, I didn't fill out a single questionnaire from the MLB team until I had two starts in my senior season left. So I had two outings. I pitched probably 14, 12 outings that year and I got nothing. The first 10, 11, I had like a seven and a half ERA and like two wins had a ton of strikeouts, had a ton of walks. And so I you were doing no the velocity punch out plan and not the beat all yeah. these teams plan. <laughs> Yeah, we, we went, we led with that and then it just did not work. I couldn't get out of the sixth inning my senior year. It was my ERA, like the one through five was probably like a, a two. And then my ERA in the sixth inning was about a 50. It was unbelievable. So 
um, we get to draft day. I still wasn't sure if I was going to get signed. I went from zero questionnaires to I think I filled out 20 in the last two starts. So it all happened so fast. Um, but I had no guarantees. I had no agent. I, you know, um, so the first two days I knew I wouldn't go. And then the third day, um, I, I knew, I mean, I knew in my mind I was going to go in the 20th. I honestly thought I was going to go in like the 25th after like the 25th round. That's kind of what I guessed. Um, and then that day I started getting messages from teams and probably like the 15th round which kind of like surprised me that like you know at least on the board so I kind of knew that day I was going to get drafted um and then funny enough like the A's weren't a team I talked to very much um I just like I had never met with anyone they just sent me a questionnaire online I filled it out sent it back there was no communication no text nothing um and then the, I think it was like halfway through the 22nd round and um I got a want to say I got like a text I got a text right before I got drafted because I remember our meals with my whole family and we were watching and I got a text. And then like, I remember reading the text that they were going to draft me and it was like, I didn't say anything. And then like 10 seconds later, it popped up on the screen. So did you, did you play hardball with that $1,500 bonus? <laughs> was there some negotiation some back and forth with Billy Bean himself? I don't, I'm honestly, I'm not sure who I talked to. It definitely was not Billy Bean. Uh, I think he was on the line with Kyler Murray. But I, that went well. I, I, yeah, that went really well. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I mean, I just remember like, I, in my mind, like, I obviously wasn't going to sign for money, so I didn't really care at all. Like, I thought I was at least going to get like five. <laughs> um, nope. I got 1500, which was better than a lot of my friends who got drafted that year by the A's. So, um, yeah, I was luckily, I mean, I'll, draft day was always one of those experiences like it, all the work all the sacrifice, all the ups and downs was all worth it for like that day. Um, and I just remember like the feeling of like, that's probably the biggest feeling of accomplishment I've ever had. Cause that was the goal. Um, the funny thing is like my senior year, the goal wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a big leaguer. The goal is like, I'm going to get drafted. I just need to like, I need to get there. And I knew I was never like delusional that like, well, if I get drafted, I'll be in the big league. But I knew that I just needed to get drafted first and have a chance um, to keep playing. Cause that was, again, the same thing out of high school, same thing out of Juco. The goal is just to keep playing. We talk about ceiling. Obviously you changed, you changed yours. You'd put in all this work. You'd been able to, to get drafted. Did you, at that time, did you have thoughts about, well, now I'm employed by the A's. Do I, do I have a chance? What kind of pitcher do you think you are? Um, you know, how do you kind of set, uh, your own timeline of, what is going to get you to the big leagues? Oh, I mean, my timeline was three years. I'll be in the big leagues. Of course. No doubt. Of course. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily wrong. Um, I think that it was the approach I needed to take because I think if I thoroughly understood MLB organizations and understood how they work, um, I don't know, like pretty much like, I don't think me knowing the reality of my situation would have been helpful. Um, I think me being pretty naive into pro ball was actually a benefit to me. Um, because I thought I legitimately had like a shot to do it in two to three years. And um, just like the pitcher I was and understanding how orgs work, that I, I didn't at the time. Um, I mean, I went to the AZL and kind of found my footing. I struggled a little bit early and then like th ended up throwing well, striking guys out, um, walks came down. And 
ended up going to, I got, um, it was the end of their AAA season and I went from AZL to Nashville. Yeah. I needed to ask about this cause I, I was bewildered. I, how did you, yeah. it's just like, how did you end up as the guy who gets those four AAA innings, the, the random well, senior was, sign in the AZL? Yeah. There was three of us who went or four of us. Um, so it was like seasons ending AZL just ended. I was, I luckily knew like what, it wasn't like, I didn't see it as like a promotion. Um, and it was like, I knew the role was triple A, the triple A, the big league team was making a playoff push. So they were going to call a bunch of guys up rosters, just get expanded. So they sent me and three other guys, I believe, um, to Nashville for that final week. And they sent us like different ways. Two of us went to, I think they sent five of us and like two of us went to double A. So I was in double A for like three days. Nobody told me anything. I just show up and there's like four games left. And they tell me I'm not pitching while I'm there. And I'm like, I didn't even get a jersey. I'm just like hanging out in the dugout. I had no idea what was going on. Nobody so they, told me they fly you into Midland and they're just like, you're going to stay yeah. at this hotel, show up at the ballpark. Yeah, I, I thought I was going to pitch. I'm not pitching. I don't know what's happening. And then the last day there, they send us to, they tell us we're going to Nashville for a three game series. We get there. I think they fly us in like Thursday and the team's out of town. So we had like pretty much a full day in Nashville on Thursday. And then we had Friday, Saturday, Sunday games. Um, and yeah, I mean, Nashville was sick. I had, a, I had a great time and everybody on the team was great. And like, they were appreciative to have guys there to eat innings. Um, but it was, a, I mean, it was a, the by far the biggest jump in like learning curve because I had never been to any affiliate. And so like things in the AZL are different. Um, so the amount of things I messed up that first trip to AAA was unbelievable. Um, but what, what are great. the big ones? What are the ones that to this day make you cringe? Oh, so I got, um, I threw, so the first day we show up to the field and we get to Nashville on Thursday. I went out the whole day in Nashville. And so we show up Friday and they let us know, like I was going to be first out of the bullpen. Um, Chris Bassett was starting. And he was going to throw, he was supposed to throw like four to five innings, kind of like a touch and feel. And then he was going getting promoted. So um, I think he was supposed to go at least three, three to four. And so they're like, you'll be in after him. This is my first time with ever having an on-field bullpen. I've never thrown on an on-field bullpen ever. I was also a starter, so I've never thrown out of the bullpen. Um, and so we're kind of like getting settled in. And I just remember I was standing in the dugout because they're like, you can hang out in the dugout and then go down like the third inning or something. I'm hanging out in the dugout. Bassett goes out there. It was like probably 20 pitches, comes in. And then our team, I think, scored like four or five runs the first inning. And it's like three nothing. And suddenly like the pitching coach is like, uh, Bassett's done. You're pitching. And so <laughs> I like ran down to the bullpen. Had never thrown on on-field bullpen. Had the yips super bad. Was just like lobbing the baseball and uh, – Jesus Lazardo was actually the bullpen coach who was helping me and couldn't have been a nicer guy, but I think he was a little bit worried because I probably didn't throw a baseball in the bullpen over 70 miles an hour because I was so nervous and anxious. What was the biggest um, crowd you had ever pitched in front of at that point? Possibly about 300 people, 500 <laughs> people. And that was, that was a, we played Cal Baptist. It was the start of season and it was, that was by far the biggest crowd. It was like 500 my second biggest crowd was probably maybe like 200 people. D2 like baseball, man. Day. That is. Yeah, no, tiny. 
And so this was a sold out, I want to say 12 to 15,000 Friday night game in Nashville. And I, my, I had never been more like, I don't know, adrenaline was just through the roof. And it's the only thing I remember was like going, cause I did not warm up well at all. I pretty much went in completely dry. And so I remember running to the field and I just, the only thing I had in my mind was that the mound never moves. 60 feet, six inches is always the same. And I feel comfortable on a mound. So I'd figure it out. Um, I was throwing to Murphy or I was throwing to like the catcher was great. Team was great. So like that helped. But um, I just remember I ended up throwing really well. I think I walked the first guy on like full count and then had like four innings, a few punch outs, not many hits. And, but when I came out, uh, they told me like, go up. And then the trainer was like, uh, I was in the clubhouse and he was like, you know, get changed and we'll do like arm care and everything. And so me not having a clue in the world, I went, I showered, got changed into like workout clothes to go through the arm care. And Bassett, luckily is like, Bassett's like sitting there and he sees me come out and he's like, hey, like don't shower <laughs> until after the game with the whole team. Um, but I had no idea because in AZL, like you came in from pitching, you would go like shower and then like do arm care, work out and you're done. So I showered, got changed. And that's still probably the most like, I just, but I didn't know better at all. I had never been to any affiliate level. Um, and luckily like, and Bassett was great about it. And he kind of like told me, he's like, just like the rules and laid out most of them. Um, and he was also kind of dying laughing. Cause he's like, he's like, what do you mean? You've never been to an affiliate. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so ended up talking with him for a while and, and that was the last, uh, last outing I had there, but it was a pretty memorable experience. And, um, definitely my favorite uh, pitching performance that I've ever had. I mean, you've got to be one of the only guys in baseball history who's a pitcher, not a position player, who ends his career with a zero ERA in AAA. And does it, it, it pretty, pretty, <laughs> I got impressive. a win too. I think I snaked, the, I snaked Bassett's win because he only went one. Um, so I can say I have a win at every single level of pro ball, including I mean, indie ball. What more can you ask for? <laughs> can't, nothing, nothing. So with that, you, um, your first your first full year you go out into the the low a rotation you're missing bats you're also you're also missing the zone a lot you're pretty pretty significantly high walk rate and it's something yeah. you corrected significantly as you went up the ladder you basically cut it in half i mean what gives there that that's my i mean my kind of question there how do you fix how do you fix control command the the biggest difference between like 2019 and then obviously covid happened but 2021 uh, the biggest thing we fixed in command was just getting a lot more consistent delivery because uh, my arm slot was just consistently not on time. And so it makes it extremely hard to throw strikes. And so in 21, like a lot of the training I did was, A, I got on the mound a lot more than I previously had and spent a lot more time of focus, intent, commanding, um, command practice and everything like that. And it really did show in 21 because um, that is the one thing like for guys who are listening or guys who get into orgs is a lot of orgs you get labeled and once you're labeled that's it you're labeled forever um, and i will say like that's how it was with the a's i had command issues in 2019 and then i think in 2021 my like walks per nine was probably lower than three and i was still technically like a high walk guy even though i wasn't um but the biggest thing that changed was just like intent focus on command um and really fixing like 
mechanically making sure that my arm was in a more consistent slot. That was the biggest, biggest difference maker for me. And also like in 2019, I was, my goal was, I was pitching how I pitched in college. My goal was to punch out every single person. And so when you're doing that, like, I mean, I was throwing three, one curveballs. I was throwing three, two fastballs intentionally out of the zone to get swings and misses or a walk. I was okay with that. Um, and then in 21, the definitely changed into obviously just attacking the zone uh, with a lot more conviction as well. And my stuff was better. So I felt confident enough to attack the zone. You finished up that, that first full year. And then obviously the, the COVID year happens. Walk me through deciding to start a, U- a YouTube channel and, and you know, how, when you got back to baseball, how that was, how that was received. Like I am, I'm a content creator now. Yeah. Um, I started, yeah, I started the YouTube channel in 2020. Um, COVID gave me an opportunity where it was like the first time I hadn't played baseball and I was working for driveline as online trainer. And I got asked the same questions by every single player. And, um, I remember the, the, the re the whole reason that YouTube channel ever got launched though is a huge part to my girlfriend and wife now. Um, because like, she was like, she's like, I definitely think we should do it. And so it took, it took a little convincing. Um, but the goal of it was I set out with three very clear goals. And those are the same three goals I have, which are to give like information that is beneficial to players. Because when I was a player and I was young, I was looking on YouTube for anything I could find. And so that was one. Number two was trying to like, I love baseball. And so I wanted to share that with other people like fans. I wanted fans to see what minor leaguers do in the offseason. I think it's interesting. Um, and then number three, and the biggest, um, biggest goal that I had was pretty much if I can put something out that I enjoy to do, I enjoy doing, and it helps one person, then it's worth it to me. And that was the biggest thing with starting a YouTube channel is I think a lot of times people think about like content as all about you, 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 and kind of like this selfish thing. And my goal with content was very clear that if it helped one person, I was willing to like, like almost like you have to get over yourself to create content because there's a lot of the whole, like, I didn't want it to be about me. I didn't want to like highlight myself. That's not what I was trying to do. And baseball is very much like, oh, don't talk good about yourself. And so that was never the goal. The goal was if this video helps one person and I can leave baseball better than I found it, then it was worth it. What was the first time you had a, a cool reach out of someone saying like, hey, saw your video, really liked it? Because everyone in content has has one of those that pops up and it's like, wow, this person noticed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a lot like pretty early on. There's a lot of like it, the whole like it didn't take off super fast, but like I had a lot of people who were like high school players and they like they really enjoyed it so it was like it was cool and that was like i feel like i got some of that feedback and i was enjoying doing it um the cool one one of like the i feel like some of the coolest ones i've had are are actually like later on like i had one this year where it was pretty much somebody who was a junior in high school when he started watching my youtube and now he just finished up his freshman year of college and he's at like a d1 and he throws 90 and pretty much he had like sent me some message in 2020 that you know he was worried about even being able to like play college baseball because he was throwing like low 80s um and so stuff like that is pretty cool because that's what i wish i could have had when i was a younger baseball player and that's like my goal is still to make content that appeals to 14 year old me that also appeals to 18 year old me and 22 year old me and so that's kind of like my goal within content and within baseball is making quality content 
that is a either just interesting or beneficial. But I think that like there's a lot of good stories in baseball. And that's also like one of my favorite things about podcasts is listening to other people's stories and um getting like getting to know other players and like kind of what made them the player that they are. Or, um it also makes I I just always think it's interesting to find like baseball players aren't just baseball players. Like there are a lot of players who have other interesting things that they do. Um, and so almost like going beyond just the baseball. Yeah. And I'm curious when you got back into full season ball, like when the minor league season came back in 2021, how did, how did you work running the channel? Cause like doing, you know, a lot of people think that doing content is pressing record or just filming a little video, but it's, it's work. How did you work this into your regular schedule as you also are, you know, especially when you get in the Texas league are taking really long bus rides and trying to be a professional baseball player and everything that goes into that. I was still working as an online trainer too. Cause I was broke. So, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, you're also, you're also getting, you know, getting paid poverty wages to pay professional baseball yeah, at that time. Um, no, but I, I would say I did YouTube very discreetly, um, that year and kind of was like, I was still a little bit uncomfortable with doing it because I didn't know exactly why I was doing it or like what it necessarily like almost like what the end goal of it was. Um, so a lot of it was me getting like more comfortable doing it. Um, and for the most part, like everyone was fine with it, but at the same time, like it was definitely frowned upon or like something that like people would kind of talk about in a negative way. Um, and that's just kind of how baseball is in a lot of I think it's changing a little bit now, um, but I do feel like I was a little bit ahead of the curve on social media and baseball, um, especially the whole like being a nobody, because it was kind of like this whole like, well, only superstars can put out baseball content. And it's like, that's just not true. Like you go to any other sport, there's a bench player in the NBA who's got a successful YouTube channel and everyone thinks it's cool. But like in baseball, unless you're a number one prospect, like you can't you can't promote yourself. Baseball is very anti like promoting yourself, which I, I don't agree with. I think that minor league baseball in particular, everyone is playing for themselves. There is no goal of winning. That is not, and maybe it's different in different orgs, but there was never a goal that it was actually, the goal was never to actually win. The goal was everybody is going to play. Everybody needs to get their innings. They're going to get their at-bats. And it's about you playing as well as you can so that you can go up. So there is not this team dynamic that I think a lot of people think that there is. Do you think I, we come back to that a lot on this show in dealing with, because like the thing that's fun about junior college and the thing that's fun about even playing, like playing D2 baseball, playing D1 baseball, whatever is playing to win every game mattering. Like yeah. that's, that's a big deal. Playing a conference game is a lot of fun and like, it hurts like yeah. hell when you lose one. Is there and I've we've had guys on the show who have said in certain orgs like the Rays stand out where winning obviously isn't the number one priority, but it's it's something that they try to encourage. It matters. Is, yeah. Is there is there a training benefit to putting putting a priority on winning in the organization? Like, is there a way to implement that in minor league baseball when when the goal is as you know got to get to the big leagues? I think the. I, I think it's it's less I think the most important thing is less about maybe like making saying that winning is more important than anything else. I think the number one most important thing is being honest with your players. And the honest truth is the goal there is for these players to develop and get to the next level. The only level that winning matters is the big leagues. 
And that's the only thing at the big league level that does matter. And that's kind of like the crazy thing in baseball in the minor leagues is I think it's a like kind of an irrational jump is there's all these levels of the minors and winning doesn't matter. And then you get to the big leagues and winning is the only thing that matters. So I think the change is almost kind of different. Like it doesn't matter if you're in the big leagues and you have a four or five ERA, but you're eating the innings you're supposed to eat. They're, they're happy with it. But if you're in double A doing that, like you're not moving. So I think that, I think that putting an emphasis on winning is, is important, but I think that the more, most important thing is just being honest. And that's what I think some teams like talking to other players and other orgs. I think some other teams do really well of, they like their players know exactly what they need to do to get to the next level. There's a list and you know where you rank. And so this is like talking to guys with other orgs. There would literally be a list by the door of all the names, your average fastball, your strikeout rate, your walk rate. And you knew that if you were in the top three, you were the next one to go. And I think the organizations that have the same philosophy at every single level and that teach the same thing over and over, and that communicate better with players about what it actually takes to make it are the best teams by far. And it's proven because they're all the teams who are winning. Do you think the, now that with they're they're playing under CBA, now that minor league baseball is as close as it's ever been to a job that is being paid, like it's a job and an actual, an actual job where guys don't have to go into debt, go broke to continue to play. They get the housing, they get better wages and things like that. Um, there's also, you know, means there's fewer of these jobs, but do you think that will be conducive to a better minor league environment, minor league clubhouse? Because a lot of the clawing of, I've got to get promoted. I've got to get to the big leagues is I'm dying down here. I have no money unless you're, unless you're first rounder guy, it's, it's like, you're, you're fighting to survive with the. I guess the lack of survival, I mean, there's still the difference between double A wages and big league wages are still mm-hmm. not, not even on yeah. the same planet, yeah. but taking out like the, the poverty of a lot of what a lot of yeah. these guys are facing. Do you think that is going to just create a more conducive, positive clubhouse environment? If there's not these discrepancies and who's got money and who doesn't have money? Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of opinions on this. I think that it absolutely is going to help baseball players. And I think that one of the craziest things I realized in pro ball was that there was almost this like attitude and it was from old coaches and people had been, who had been treated the same way of almost like, well, we did it. So you have to do it too. And I never understood why teams thought that treating players like shit would make them better players. And I think teams tried to almost look at it as this whole like, oh, well, you know, it's that competitiveness and we'll see who survives. And the problem with that is it's not a fair fight because there's no other job where every entry person gets hired. There's 40 of them where two of them are billionaires or millionaires and the rest are completely broke because that's not a fair fight because the only two are going to survive are the guys who got paid. So I, I never understood why teams thought that treating their players like shit would ever do well. Because also then the whole like players remember, like I know for a fact, there's a lot of players who want to leave as soon as they get up with the big league team because that team did not treat them well. And so I think that the fact that the way, the reason it happened for so long was because the MLB got away with it. Nobody fought it. Because to fight it meant you were going to lose your job and you were going to lose your career. 
Um, and there wasn't social media, so people didn't know. So there was no like uprising. And so they like MLB didn't want to play players more like pay players more this year. They had to because they had so much negative light. It wasn't because they're they're kind and they actually care. They don't. They're workers. They're gonna replace them all next year. They get a new batch every single year. And so I think that treating players like the way it is now, housing pay scale most guys are making over 30 grand in a six-month period which is pretty solid most of those guys are still going to have to get jobs in the offseason but it's so much better than in 19 i think i made nine thousand dollars we had to pay for our own housing like i didn't have a car so i had to pay for food like i had to pay for ubers uber eat and so i mean you're you're paying to play pretty much you're not making money and i think that the, the way it's set up now is obviously significantly different. I think it will continue to improve, but I think it absolutely has a positive effect on how players show up because players aren't starving because like literally guys wouldn't eat after games because they didn't have money. So now it's like, well, everyone's fed. Everyone knows that they have a bed to sleep in. I mean, in 19, we had a house with guys, it was seven guys in a one bedroom. They were sleeping in the kitchen. You can't tell me anyone's well-rested, actually ready to go compete at a high level. So I think that by, I think somebody like at some point people thought that like giving players a proper wage would make players like soft. I think it does the complete opposite. I think it makes players comfortable with a lot of other things in their life, which can make them focus more on the baseball aspect. Yeah. I mean, I think that that philosophy goes to any any industry you're in, like I have a different day job. I think if you invest in your employees, you're going to get better results. And I think baseball will will reap the benefit, the way overdue benefit of getting better results from all minor leaguers. And there will be guys who would have never made it in the past, who would have had to quit, who make it to the big leagues and have productive careers. And baseball is better for that. Um, You mentioned that the kind of the reason you hung it up, you you dealt with an injury in, in 2022 and the, the work not, being a fulfilling, like getting up for the work being difficult. Was there a moment specifically where you kind of realized this, this might not be this playing side of baseball. Cause you've obviously you're staying in baseball in a different capacity. This mm-hmm. playing side might not be for me anymore. Yeah. I mean, I got released by the A's in 2022. I rehabbed ulnar nerve injury rehab, um, pretty much got sent back out to double a was kind of told like, you know, you'd have the rest of the year to kind of settle in, blah, blah. I threw one inning. I got released. Um, and so I knew right then, like I wasn't done. So I trained for seven months, similar to my senior year, all in. Um, and the point of going all in was because I knew that if at the end of it, I wasn't playing anymore, I could like live with, I gave it that good, like last try. Um, and I mean, I was better than I ever was. I got up to 97 this spring, um, herniated a disc in my back. And the only opportunity I had was indie ball. And I'm grateful I went out. Um, and the, honestly, indie ball is the most fun I had actually as a player since college, because indie ball, you do play to win and guys do care. And, um, but I also knew that the, I guess like the moment of realization was pretty much my goal was to, as a player was to potentially go overseas. And the goal for this whole year was if, if I was going to continue playing baseball, it needed to be a career. And for something to be a career, it needs to actually pay you a livable wage. And I was making 1500 a month this year. Uh, which is not a livable wage. Um, and so that was just kind of like the reality of it for me was I wasn't performing um, at the level physically that I wanted to be at. 
I wasn't throwing hard enough. I know how hard I needed to throw. I wasn't doing that. My body felt terrible. And mentally, it just got to the point where I just knew that it was the right time and that I wasn't, I just, I, it was almost like my heart just wasn't in it anymore. And it was a pretty weird feeling because it was the first time I've ever like gone out on a mound in a game. And just, it's, I kind of explained it as like my pulse was just flatlining. Like it just didn't do anything. I didn't have any adrenaline, didn't really matter. Um, and so I think once I kind of started realizing that, that, that was, that was my, my cue to go. Um, because I also don't love playing baseball and everything that it takes enough to just play baseball. I like playing baseball because I liked competing at a high level. I liked throwing hard. I liked beating hitters. Yeah, I don't, I don't just enjoy 12 hour bus rides and low pay to just like sit in the bullpen. So I knew as soon as like I wasn't going to be able to play at a high enough level that I wanted to, that it just wasn't for me anymore. And um, luckily, a lot of like, I mean, even a few years ago, they're the only other route outside of playing to stay in baseball coaching pretty much. Um, And luckily now with social media and a lot of other stuff, there's other ways to stay in the game. And I guess that's kind of the I look back to 2020 and. Again, I'm grateful my wife told me to start the YouTube channel and like helped me get that kind of going initially because I didn't really know the long-term vision of it. And now the long-term vision of it is to continue to stay in baseball. And it's almost giving me an opportunity um, to stay in baseball, even though I will no longer be playing. And with that, um, if you could just walk the listeners through you know, your, your post-career playing, the game plan now for remote coaching, um, I've have to assume that we have parent, you know, parents of kids listening to this. Like I'm, I have a nine-year-old. So like what, what is kind of mm-hmm. your, you know, what's your 10 year plan, which I'm sure you got <laughs> asked a lot since you're retiring, but what's, what's the goal for you in baseball? Um, I, honestly, the 10 year plan in baseball, I'm not exactly sure what it looks like, but I think that right now I enjoy, I enjoy training because I enjoy helping other athletes hopefully get to their ceiling. That's like when I talk to players, um there's no promises there's no guarantees besides the fact that a i'll be completely honest and b i will put in as much work as i can to help players hit their ceiling um and so as a trainer i really enjoy that because that's like there's a lot of people who helped me hit my ceiling and they all mean a lot to me and the fact that like they helped me get to a point where i was like happy with my baseball career because i i don't i think a lot of players walk away from baseball extremely bitter and they hate it, and they're mad at it, and I think that I knew I didn't want to do that, Um, and so I think that the training side of it, I really enjoy working with guys, um, because it's also just cool. Everyone has their own story, and guys who want to train and want to get better, it's an absolute blast, so um, for anybody who is interested in training, I do offer like fully remote training, where we just work one-on-one directly with throwing throwing programs, uh, mechanical analysis, all that stuff, um, and then the content side of it kind of just is marketing and to some extent, some of like the training stuff is just marketing, um, for that. And also just like information that I like to put out. Um, and then I think some of the other co- baseball content stuff, I guess, I don't necessarily see, um, exactly where it's going, but I enjoy making baseball content and, um, have goals of potentially starting my own podcast. That would be more of a video format so I can start sharing other players' stories because, Content was never about me talking about myself. That was never the goal. Um, And so now having the chance, if I have the chance to interview baseball players, coaches, 
people who are in the game like yourself and kind of finding those stories, I find them extremely interesting. And I think other people do too. Yeah, well, there, I mean, there's a wealth of stuff on your YouTube channel for anyone who's interested. Uh, everyone go check that out. Um, I've got a quick rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. Yeah. All right. Favorite minor league ballpark? Oh, uh, Frisco, Lazy River. That's It's a multiple-time winner. That is where my wife and it's I went on our first date. Yeah, actually. It's a good one. Uh, best hitter you ever faced? Oh, uh, Miguel Vargas, Dodgers, no doubt. All right. Whataburger or in and out? In and out. It is it's not even close. So it's, I noticed I noticed in the um and, and here's where I wanna I wanna stand for Whataburger. There are better fast food burgers. Like I would say Shake Shack is yeah. better. In and out has a really good burger. Whataburger as a whole, I would rather have a Whataburger closer to me than any other place because of the Whataburger is versatile. Whataburger is Kike Hernandez. That is true. You can get anything. <laughs> have you had a honey butter chicken biscuit? I did. I had one while I was in Texas. And that was, uh, there are, I will say there's, there's a, like that and the patty melt. Yeah. Um, we're both, we're both go-tos while being in Texas. I remember we were in Corpus Christi and the only thing that was close was a Whataburger. That so. sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, we're, we're, uh, it worked out. The, the honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich is a real, uh, high floor, low ceiling item because if you, if the wrong person puts that together on the wrong day, it's, it's not good, but at its best it's top tier. Um, absolutely. Okay. Last one. Everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? Almost all of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a really good one. So it was 2019. We were going from Beloit, Wisconsin, which if you're wondering what my least favorite minor league field of all time is, it, it was Beloit, Wisconsin, 2019. Um, but so we went from Beloit to Bowling Green and it's like a 10, 12 hour bus ride. It's the middle of the summer. It felt like it's 110 out, probably in the 90s. And um, we don't have any AC on the bus. And instead of like getting us a new bus, we just go with no AC. Um, and so I think we started early in the morning. And it was like within like 30 minutes, like everyone's just sweating, like just drenched. Um, most guys are like down to like just short and just like profusely sweating. Um, it was also a bus ride. So I was also drinking, which obviously does not help with sweating and, uh, pretty much got heat exhaustion. Um, but that bus ride was, it was one of those where it's like, it was so bad. Um, we had no AC for 12 hours. I think we stopped six hours in and like, I mean, we had multiple guys who almost like passed out. Um, we also like, I think when we stopped, we like, there was like, it was like a Del Taco was the only option to eat. It was just, it was awful. Um, but I have a, we have a video of one of our, um, one of our catchers at the time is being fanned by one of the other players because, as you can see in the video, he's just profusely sweating. Um, and that was, that was probably one of the worst bus trips I've ever been on. No AC for 12 hours in the middle of the summer kind of does it. Amazing how often the AC goes out. Everyone has everyone has a nightmare story. Uh, Aiden McIntyre, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Feeding on the Farm. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. You got it. And that's it for today's episode with Aiden McIntyre. If you enjoyed this one, go check out his YouTube channel. A lot more where that came from. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.